0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast. And we've got another Anything But Typical story and an Anything But Typical entrepreneur on here. So I can't wait for you to meet Chris Nadeau. And um, so, Chris, as we typically start the Anything But Typical podcast, we have this question. And I love it because it gets to the heart of who you are more than just what you've done, uh, because that's one of the things that really attracted me to you when you and I first talked and got to know each other a little bit. So here's the scenario. You and Natasha and your three kids are out at 40 Acre Rock State Park, which you were just telling us about. Sounds like an awesome place to go in South Carolina. And uh, the parking lot is abnormally filled uh, with people. People are have got you know spring fever. They're outside, and you are walking by a car, and you're you know kind of um, corralling your kids and getting them to move. But somebody recognizes you, and they are talking about you as you go past the car, and they don't realize that you could hear them. What is it that you wish that they were saying about you?
1: Uh, I think the thing that uh, would impact me the most is uh, that I was honest, good, bad, and different. That I was honest with them. In any situation that uh, we crossed paths with, um, my honesty was in their best interest. Uh, I think that would that's some of the greatest things I've ever heard about myself is that I did that for people uh, and that helped them out the most in their life. And sometimes that, that honesty can be pretty brutal in there. <laughs> uh as we know and uh i've had a lot of people come back and thank me for that later uh people i never thought on facebook would ever come back and say hey remember that time 20 years ago thanks for it i appreciate it and never saw that coming but I, that that's what it would be yeah and i was i was honest with you
0: uh that is beautiful man all right ben you can go ahead and launch into more of the
2: yeah uh, so chris you even before we get into your your intro i want to dig a little bit deeper on that so right that that honesty and being comfortable as a leader to be honest with people whether it's something they want to hear or not um i want to know where that where that comes from for you because i it's a difficult thing to do is to be honest to the point where you know it's not what they want to hear so where does that come from for you
1: it comes from my military background uh that's where it comes from and you know, you're in 9-11, I would say, you know, after 9-11, um, you know, the amount of time I sent deployed in combat zones, you don't have the luxury of beating around the bush with people at certain times. You know, you've got to find that in your heart that when you need to be honest with them, it's in everybody's best interest. Uh, and that's what you have to do. Uh, and I, I went through some very, very difficult uh, times where I had to remove people from positions. there it wasn't popular they were popular to other people but their conduct and what they were doing the overall uh, aspect on the unit on a mission wasn't was incontinent and you're on an island you're all alone in that decision and you know you're going to be but you have to be honest with the person you have to be honest with yourself your unit and what you're there to do uh, and make that decision so that you know that honesty sometimes is cuts hard and those situations, and that's where I really, truly learned it.
2: Yeah. So I'll step back and do the quick intro because I was about to do another follow-up. and We'd be 30 minutes in before I do the intro. So, uh, <laughs> so Chris is the CEO of Haversack, which is disrupting the future of logistics. We're going to dive into that, uh, obviously. And then just hit on military background. You spent five years, uh, right about five years in the Army. Is that correct?
1: Uh, 26.
2: 26. I don't know where I got the number five from. I'm sorry, 26 years in the uh, in the military and is now the CEO of Haversack. So let's go back to that military experience a little bit more. Um, what are some lessons and you just hit on one with being comfortable and being honest with people. But What are some of those lessons from that military experience that has translated into business? Uh,
1: you know, one of the things I think is, you know, it, it's funny uh, America's perception of the military comes from Hollywood. And I think there's a lot of, of misperception in there uh, where people think that, you know, military guys are, you know, dress right dress and they follow orders. and They don't question orders. It can be anything but the truth. The military, you know, there is that following orders and being disciplined to that point. But a huge part as a leader in the military is being, initi- you know, being able to exercise initiative at any given moment in time. And you have to develop that trait uh, as a leader. Because we always say, you know, you're going to plan for a mission. Uh, And the plan is great right up until the first bullet is fired. Then the plan's out the window. And if you can't think quickly, you can't exercise that initiative and be innovative quickly, you're going to fail. Uh, And that is a cold hard reality. I've found that in the same with business. If you just get stuck on the path and you're trying to drill down and make it work, it will lead to failure. And what has been great about our business here is we're innovative. I always tell people there's never a day two in Haversack. There's only a day one. We come to work every day and we relearn, relearn ourselves. We're always innovative. We're always, we're a solutions-based organization. So that military trait is transcended um, pretty successful for me over to business. It. I think
2: with with how you were just talking about that, with your background experience, that resonates with you, right? You're, you're able to transition that into business. How do you communicate that way and get people to buy in if they don't have that same military background where they haven't learned those same things that you did through deployment and, and uh, experiences like that?
1: It's a message. It's how you say it. It's how you bring it to the table. Um, And a lot of time it's through calm, calm, solid leadership and being the rock of your organization. And that's what you have to be. There are times where things are difficult. You know, we're building a tech platform and it's housed on AWS and somehow it went down and it went down in the morning and I'm getting my kids ready for homeschool and I'm getting the calls and everybody is lit. I can hear them doing cheater flips and pinging all over the place. And I'm like, it's going to be okay. What is the solution? You don't want to add to it. Um, And then you start giving innovative solutions and other ideas, but you do it in a calm, solid rock manner and they will resonate. It will transcend. You know, there's transference of attitude and that's what will happen. If you're that type of leader and you can portray yourself and be that, they'll follow you. And then it opens up their mind. They get calm and then they follow your lead in that
2: yeah that's that's powerful because uh, that translation from what you know to your core to people that may not have have had that background, I think that translation is is extremely powerful
1: that you you can't expect people to be like you. you know the one thing is uh, you know everybody always says, well, I would do this well well that's great. It doesn't mean somebody else will you know uh, and you have to understand they're not you, but you can bring you into them and you can do it in a manner that message. Um, can be done. And that transference can be done. It's all about how you relay it. Yeah.
0: So Chris, uh, 26 years in the military. Uh, that's a long time where you become very accustomed to that environment. Take us through what was the impetus of you going, you know what, I'm going to make a pivot. I'm going to get into the private sector. What? What were some of the the you know impetus uh, events or what triggered that move and then t- talk to us about the industry that you went in and then how that led you to where you're at today
1: um wow big question good question though um you know i, I think that one thing i always told myself when i was in the army was if my heart for a moment for a second wasn't there 100% that I had to evaluate myself and to make sure that um, if that was the time to leave. And I remember it was, uh, it was actually my birthday and I got a call from Department of the Army and they were like, hey, you, you got to move. You got to leave your unit. And I had just got back from my fourth time in Iraq. And I'm like, okay, what, what do you got? And they started naming all these other units and places to go. And I'm looking at the patch chart and that's the deployment chart. And I could see every time they mentioned a unit, they were leaving in six months again. And it just, it just, it started to hit me. And that moment right there was like, okay, that's a problem. Cause I'm pushing back on going and deploying. And I had never done that before. And that's where I had to step back and say, it's up, time up. Um, because in my position that I was, the soldiers depended on me to be 100% Every single day. And if I didn't, it would impact somebody negative, and I just couldn't do it. So I made a determination. That's when I decided to retire. Um, And then from that point, uh, I was at a hiring conference. I was figuring out what I was going to do next in life, and I had no idea what I was going to do. And I met a gentleman from Conway Freight, and uh, we just struck up a conversation, and it was a great conversation. Uh, We went to lunch, and then uh, we parted ways, and I got a phone, we exchanged information, and a phone call the next morning. It's like, hey, I was supposed to get on a plane to go home, but I couldn't. He goes, I want to meet with you again. And we met and he offered me a job. And he's like, I want to teach you the lesson truckload world. I had no idea that economy even existed or anything, but I had a great mentor that tell me said, uh, when you leave, an organization will see the value in you, and they will not put you through the hiring process. They will grab you. And when they do that, go for it, figure it out. And that's what I did. I took that advice and it it worked out very, very well for me.
0: So Um, before we move forward to the next place and then what led you to Haversack, um, I want to go back and just get some clarity. When you were in the military, talk to us about the kind of roles that you had, because I didn't get that you were necessarily logistics,
1: were you? No, no, I was an engineer. Yes. I, was a, I was a combat engineer. I, I, I built stuff and blew stuff up for a living. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, but I did a lot of this. When you, you're moving thousands of soldiers across the world, you, you're logistically minded, you know, on right. processing that. But your label is not that. Um, you know, I was just a hard-headed engineer. That that was my uh, that was my job in the army. Uh, you know, and did a bunch of other things while I was in. I was a paratrooper. I was a drill sergeant. Uh, you get a chance to do a lot of, a lot of diversification in there.
0: I love that. The reason I wanted to go back and camp on that a little bit was because it could have been easy for a listener to go, Oh, well, he was probably in logistics. So that's a natural move to go into freight. Right?
1: Yeah. No, <laughs> no,
0: no.
1: <laughs> it, it surely wasn't. Um, I would say anything in the civilian world would have been a shock to me after 26 years in the army. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it was great. It was a, a great choice uh, able to go in. And I was in a position where I got to travel all over and, and learn the industry. Uh, and then from there, I was in Texas, retired out of Texas. Then I got a job uh, running a service center in New Orleans. And that was a experience in itself living in New Orleans. Um, That's when my my twin girls were born there. And then uh, I got a job to move to Charlotte, opportunity to move to Charlotte. And I I took that. And that's how I ended up in Charlotte.
0: Man, I'm so glad you landed in Charlotte, man. (laughs) (laughs) I I really am. So I want to go back to the the Conway uh, situation. What was it about that opportunity or the person that was interviewing you my gut is it wasn't just because, hey, I need a job and I'll take the first thing that moves. Talk to me. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I've been there before myself, so I get it. But what was it about that opportunity that made you go, that's, that's the right thing for me?
1: It had a leadership opportunity.
0: It, it really
1: did. And that's the one thing I didn't want to leave behind was the ability to work with people at that level. Kind of at that grassroots level and that's what being a service center manager for Conway allowed me to do I was running it I had you know 47 employees in, in New Orleans and I was I was there every day you know working with drivers and operations people and all of that so I kept I to keep I get to keep that leadership side of me so that's really really what attracted me uh, to take that position
2: so let's dive a little bit deeper on leadership. Uh, because one of the things on your um, your LinkedIn that caught my eye, and I'm mean, going to have to quote from you, it's I believe leaders are not measured by their accomplishments, but by the level of greatness they inspire others to achieve. I think that's in your your bio. So <clears throat> when we're when we're talking about that of of putting it into basically the hands of the people that are working with you and alongside of you. Um, where does that where does that thought process of the inspiration being the most important thing for a leader, where does that come from?
1: Um, that's seeing it every day. That's seeing 19-year-old young men and women in some parts of the world accomplish things that they never thought they could. Huh. And they were able to do it because of the environment that you create as a leader. And that's what I've always seen that leadership is. You create an environment for people to succeed. It's not always about you as a leader. It's about them. And I've seen that if you create that environment and you foster children, you give them guidance, you give them great resources, and you're there for them, and you believe in them, you allow them to make mistakes, they're going to grow. Um, and I've ju- I could just tell you story after story of that where I've literally put my hands, my life in the hands of a 19-year-old young man from Tupelo, Mississippi. Uh, in Afghanistan. And that person making those decisions, those incredible decisions that you never thought they would make at that point in their life. Um, And that's where you learn. It's not about you. It's their accomplishments as a leader. It's what they accomplish, not you. It's what they do.
2: So was that learned from seeing one of your leaders act that way and inspire you and put you in those positions? Or was that learned with you as a leader seeing what resonated and worked better with the people you were leading?
1: Uh, You know, you have to have that that mentor. You know, I I believe all leaders, you you learn to be a leader. You're not a born leader. You have to develop yourself. You have to fight every day to educate yourself, refine your skills, learn you're going to make mistakes as a leader, and then keep getting back on the horse, you know, when you fall as a leader. Uh, That's the way it is. Uh, So it is experience. You've got to keep going at it. Uh, and that is some of the things that I, you know, I learned. I had a great uh, leader when I was young. Uh, I was, you know, uh, I was a bad private. I'm going to say when I first started in the army, and I had a staff sergeant that, you know, grabbed me by the the, the shirt tails and was like, he, he guided me, he put me on the path uh, that I'll never forget, and gave me some great guidance in life. And that was really the beginning of myself as a leader. Mm-hmm.
0: So, I want to jump in about that because one of the things that I've seen, especially with entrepreneurs and we're gonna move into your entrepreneurial journey at, at you know soon because I want to I want people to understand what took you from that to working for another company to starting your own company because those are all very 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 different um, but going back to the whole leader. And being able to put your hands, put your life in the hands of a 19-year-old, where it's literally your life, (laughs) you know, which you've experienced firsthand. A lot of entrepreneurs that I've noticed have a really tough time letting go. Until all of a sudden, the ceiling of complexity is hit. They're really not having fun anymore. They're burning out. Then they have to let go certain things some people can function at a very high level of, well, hey, if it's not done my way, it's not the right way. And so they just, you know, they become kind of a one-man band with some supporting acts around them. How do you, if you were knowing what you know, how would you translate and transfer that willingness and uh, freedom that you've experienced and scariness of putting your life in the hands of a 19 year old or somebody that may not do it the way you would do it. How do you relinquish that control? If you were saying to another entrepreneur, that's going, man, you know, that's easy for you to say, cause you were in the, the, the army and you saw it, but I just can't do it. I don't have anybody around me that I trust to that degree. What, what advice would you give somebody
1: like that? I think it goes back to one of the first things that I said is they're not you. They're never going to be you. And I think that's one of the biggest mistake, you know, entrepreneurs that I see and other leaders, they always try to impart themselves on somebody else. This is the way I would do it and they expect everybody to do it. They're not going to. Um, And I've always used the ten ninety rule, is I'm going to give you 10% of the solution and you're going to have to figure the other 90 out, but I'm going to be there. And I'm going to provide the guidance and the resources to you. And that's what a leader does, guidance and resources. And if I create that environment, you're going to succeed. And my life is going to be a whole lot better in there. That then gives me the opportunity to impart myself on you and teach you the way to do it. But not until you have that reckoning, you will struggle forever because you're going to want everybody to paint the room exactly how you would paint it. And it's not going to happen. But can they get to the 90%? Absolutely, they will. You'll leave that 10% behind uh, with that. And that is what I've always seen. I tell everybody when I hire them in Habersack, you're gonna have to figure things out. And then the next thing is you have to be willing to allow your people to fail. Bottom line, if you are not accepting of your people that go, they're gonna fail, then don't do it. Don't set them up for it. If you're looking for perfection in there, don't even bother. Um, I always tell my people, I expect failure. Every time we fail, we're one failure closer to success. And we just keep on pushing that direction. And boy, when people, you know, it's tough to train people in America that way. They're not used to hearing that. That's a, a foreign concept. and They look at me like I'm crazy. And they're like, so you want me to fail? Yeah, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, Okay. And, you know, so It takes a while to get there, but once you've got that culture and that environment, it will foster, it will come. Um, and you'd be amazed at what happens when you're not even in the office and what people will do. The initiative, I go back to that initiative thing of when the plan, you know, the first bullet's fired, plans out the window. Now it's initiative. It's ingenuity. What, how fast can they think? It really takes off. And that's where you'll see the greatness in an organization.
2: So when you're talking there on telling employees that it's okay to fail, you want them to be able to do that, uh, push themselves to the point of being comfortable being able to fail. And then also you're pairing that with the problem solving, right? You're saying, we're going to give you 10%. We're going to give you the resources, but you got to figure out that 90. Um, talk about the hiring process inside Haversack a little bit. Of how are you attracting the people that are, Comfortable being vulnerable enough to actually fail and put themselves in those positions while also being comfortable going out there independently problem solving using the resources in Habersack, but at the end of the day, coming up with that 90%. You
1: know, I, I would say going to the, the hiring process first. Um, there's a lot of theories on how you hire people, uh, you can read a million books in that. Um, my hiring process is, you know, to me, simple. I'm looking for talent, um, you know, I'm looking for potential uh, with people. So a lot of times my interviews aren't even really interviews. They're just a conversation, but they are. And the person on the other side of the table doesn't realize I'm asking the questions that I want to hear. Uh, you know, there are stories of individuals. I hired a, a young woman not too long ago. Uh, you know, She had two kids. And she was a single mother. And I asked her about her experience as a single mother uh, and how she handled that, how she survived. And she walked me through everything she did every day to feed her kids, to clothe her kids, to love her kids in there. And that was an incredible story. She told me everything I needed to know, of the type of person she would be in my organization. She was innovative. She was hardworking. Um, You know, she figured it out. It's the 90% she was telling me the 90% right there. You know, the 10% was just life. She had a fairly other 90 out. That's talent, that's potential. And I knew I could take that person, bring them in Haversack, create an environment and they would succeed. And she is now the director of business development for Haversack, a position she thought she would never handle or be able to be in in her entire life. That is, that's what I look for. Is somebody that's going to match me Um, and tell me the story and you know what believe it or not there's a lot of people with it they just don't realize they've done it you just got to ask that right question
0: and I love that um you know I didn't join the military so I'm going to probably ask a stupid question so (laughs) just don't laugh at me too (laughs) all right
1: but I, you know what again i've heard some of the craziest questions on the planet So you never surprised <laughs> you're good bring it on bring it on
0: <laughs> so um you know the only thing i can liken it to is my own pledge training in in this fraternity and i found out that a lot of and it, it's illegal what they did to us And they didn't touch us, but a lot of it came straight out of boot camp because a buddy of mine had gone through boot camp in the army and we, we compared notes. I was like, Oh, that's where they got that. So, you know, but the thing is, is you've got this ragtag group of people that don't have a lot in common and you're brought together and then you're fused together by a common enemy. And in your case, it's the drill sergeant in our case active chapter (laughs) that acted like the drill sergeant but you know and and what the recruiting criteria were you know in the in the military I don't know I don't know what all they're looking for necessarily I know what they were looking for in our fraternity which was grades and athleticism those were the two things that we were known for but I don't know that you've got this disparate group of people but when you're hiring in at Haversack, you're not necessarily recruiting a whole bunch of recruits. you're being very, very targeted and selective. When you were in the military and you had people probably beginning boot camp versus exiting boot camp, they're you know probably very different people at that moment because they've had to endure some hardships and push themselves beyond what they'd been pushed before, I would imagine. But what were the things that you saw and some commonalities between the military, what you saw succeed or failed, and same way in the private sector?
1: Um, as far as like the hiring or the personnel or bringing a group together the people, the characteristics of the people,
0: you know, what were some common characteristics in the ones that washed out versus the ones that, went higher than they would have thought when they entered boot camp.
1: Yeah, you know, to be honest, I, I think one of the biggest things that I saw, especially when I was a drill sergeant, um, it, it really came back to the belief in themselves. You know, what the, f- what the framework was them. you know, I, I don't know if it was from their parents, their community or whatever. And you could almost see it as soon as they would walk in the door, you had them in basic training you could almost put a label on like this, they'll, they'll be gone in two weeks mm. uh, in there. And it was such a wide variety. It was self-confidence. They didn't lack the self, they lack self-confidence. And that would be very, very tough to instill in eight weeks in them. Um, or their view of the world was completely skewed and they were never going to get that, you know, and just not to be a generalist, you know, a, a certain males would come in and, they were it was co-ed basic training and they would have to be with females and they just couldn't do it. Well, that doesn't work in the army. <laughs> You've got you gotta figure that one out because that's the way of life in the army. You have female leaders. Um, so you see those certain traits and aspects that would, you know, uh, lead to them that you're not gonna make it. That you know, when you put the uniform on, that's the commonality. Um, of what we're doing. We're all together. And the one goal is defense of our nation with that. Uh, So that's some of the, you know, the deep things I would say um, in there, you know, the things that would make someone succeed is believe it or not, was they had never succeeded before in their life. They had never felt success. And the first time they do something that they never thought they could, boy, it was like a light bulb went off and it was just like wow, self worth, self actualization, just came over them, and they were just rocks. They just took off. It, it was like a rocket taking off uh, in there, and you know, it, it was just amazing. You know, you go back to basic training in the army. It, it's like you know, this test group of socialization was just absolutely amazing that you got to see every single day.
0: That's really interesting that, I mean, think about that. A common link to leadership is that they had never felt success before. And yet you also said that uh, somebody that lacked confidence, you knew was going to probably wash out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't, when I say lack confidence, they didn't even have the confidence to try to succeed. It's like they couldn't even make the move to try it no matter how much you coached and tried to push them, like you can do it, you can do it. Just wasn't there. Just, you couldn't get them over that edge. Um, And then the ones that you could get to the edge and they felt it and they saw it and they could do it, boom, they were gone. (laughs) That's so
0: awesome. I love the story about what you did with the single mom, man. I mean, anybody listening to this, dog gone it, you know. Um, that is super inspiring. And think about how that story resonates with her kids, with her friends. You know, I mean, that has this ripple effect that, you know what? I may not have the pedigree. I may not have this or that, but somebody saw and they called me to greatness and I hit it.
2: Yeah. So Chris, one of the themes that has been present in, in this so far is messaging, right? The communication, how things are presented, things like that. So I, w- I want to ask, how's the vision and mission of Haversack communicated internally? Because this is going to lead into, you, you hit on earlier, the being an innovative company and innovation. So as we lead into this conversation, into the innovation aspect, mm-hmm. I want to know how the vision and mission of Haversack is communicated internally.
1: I get a lot of it is our history of, you know, where I came from and and how we started it. Um, That's a story that gets told over and over because it it really is every single day. It's that one point in time of, you know, my life outside of the military into the civilian world of what happened to me and how I transitioned to Haversack that I portray every day uh, in there. And it's a lot of like, how you treat people. Um, and how we treat people, how we treat ourselves and how we treat our clients is who we are every day um, and our fight, you know, one of our, one of our core values is warrior spirit. We never stop fighting. We're always fighting to make sure things are done right. Um, and we believe in what we've done and what we started.
2: Um I guess we probably should talk a little bit more about that, right? We kind of skipped over even the transition into Haversack. <laughs> um, so let's, let's go back. We keep getting ahead of ourselves, but it's a good thing. So that's fine. We're, gonna, yeah. we're Listeners, will, they'll follow along. Um, so let's go back to that transition into Haversack. So, take us through that story.
1: Um, yeah, so yo, going back to Conway Freight, um, I moved to you know, Charlotte. Um, and then Conway Freight was bought by XBL Logistics. Uh, in October of 2015, and I had just moved to Charlotte, um, and you know, bought a, a home. My kids, my girls, were a year old, and uh, my son was three. And then um, February 29th, 2016, at seven o'clock in the morning. Uh, not that I remember the date or time or anything. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I was called in an office, and I was told that my position uh with xpo was being eliminated and i was like okay and they said but you can stay with the company if you're willing to move the less to kentucky and i said okay and they go you got four hours to think about it and i was like okay all right um so yeah four hours yeah four hours to decide you know uh my life and we had just bought our home we had just moved here uh it it was, it was incredible shock. So, you know, I was like, okay, well, what happens in four hours? They said, well, if you don't come back in four hours, you're fired and you won't get a severance. You won't get anything. You're out. I was like, okay. Um, So I went home I talked to my wife. uh, We talked about it. We cried. We were scared and and we decided that, you know, we couldn't, um, we couldn't commit, you know, financial suicide. So I went back and I told them I, I couldn't accept it and I had to leave the company. Uh, so that was my transition out of, out of XPO. It was brutal to say the least. You, you're talking somebody of, of a lot of pride. I hate to say that sometimes, but you know, your father, your husband, and you're responsible for your family. I had felt i had failed. It was one of the worst feelings I ever had in my life. I couldn't even begin to tell you how, how difficult it was. But the next day I picked myself up and I started looking for a job, um, and along the way, I was going on interviews and I just had this feeling, this fear. And I was telling my wife about this fear. And she's like, Well, what's your fear? I was like, My fear is getting a job. And she's she's like, What do you mean? And I said, Well, what's going to change? You know, I'm, I'm in the freight world. This is where I've kind of hung my head. You know, I, I feel like I'm going to be right back in the same position. And, you know, she, she's a great, uh, uh, she's incredible for me. She's like, you'll, you'll figure it out. And what she told me? so in the meantime, I got a job consulting with a company uh, doing some independent work. And I started to consult with shippers. So, you know, I came from the asset base, the trucking company. And then I started to consult with shippers. And I, you know, I started asking them questions and they're giving me answers. And I'm like, where did you get that? From? Like, well, the trucking company told me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we do tell you that. And then I was like, I started to realize this incredible disinformation that shippers, you know, manufacturers, distribution companies, retailers, what they're told by the asset-based trucking company. And I was like, okay, I, I get that. I was that guy at one time that did it. And then I started to see another side of the industry for the first time was the third-party logistics. Um, the CHR, the big guys, these big multi-billion-dollar companies. That you know, third-party stuff—they come and take over somebody's logistics and handle it for them. The money that they charge was insane. It was just incredible. The greed that I saw, um, and it became exposed because now I saw all third part, all three parties. I saw what the shipper did. I worked for the trucking company. Now I was exposed to the third-party logistics. Um, and I'm sitting there. And then one day I'm talking to my wife. And I said, you know, what if I just started a company that literally just pulled the veil back on logistics world? And I worked with shippers and I told them every last thing they needed to know about the industry, taught them to do it themselves. And when they hear a word, guide them away from it, explain it to them the way it's supposed to work and how they can have the confidence to do it themselves. And that is where Haversack was born. Um, And that was the beginning of it was, you know, that's what we do is we work with shepherds. We work for them. We're not an outsourced solution. We teach them every day to do it themselves. Um, and that was our inspiration is to change an industry. And then, you know, I look back in the military and that fight that I always had of trying to do the right thing, standing up for people. Um, that's really where it came from. and That's the heart. And that was the beginning of Haversack.
2: That leads perfectly into the innovation, right? Because that's what you set out to do. That's why Haversack is here today, which which I think is phenomenal. And also before we even go into that, I just want to digress for a second. That story of the situation that you were put in and four hours is, I mean, no matter what the timeline is going to be extreme anyway, but you realized that working for somebody else, you were at the mercy of them you didn't have the control that a lot of people buy into of you go to school you get a job you just keep working for other people and, and you go on and, and you you had that realization which has now led to to a, a great thing that, that you have going on at haversack so um okay so i'm done digressing uh, <laughs> no, so I- let's dive let's dive into into innovation a little bit uh you hit on a little bit of why it was important, but I think it's easy for an individual to be able to invent or innovate. How do you create an organization that is built to, to innovate instead of just imitating? Because it's much more difficult when there's lots of people, there's lots of departments, there's different communication that needs to happen. How do you build an organization that's mission is to innovate?
1: You know, once again, like I said, um, It's your culture and it's what we talk about every day. There's never a day two. And you have to build that mindset into everybody that's here. We're not, you know, uh, know, I love Chick-fil-A, don't get me wrong, but that's the same thing every day. You know, sometimes new things hit the menu, but that's repetition. Um, That's not us. Every day we're reinventing the chicken sandwich. (laughs) Something else is going to be in there. Um, And then what happens is this. This is where the innovation part comes in. And when you're a solutions based organization, when you're tied to a client and you're truly a partner and you're working with them every day, and that's a big aspect of what we do, they will challenge you to be innovative every day because their problems are always different. And they come to you and they're going to, once they trust you, they're going to throw a problem on you and you're going to have to figure it out. And if you're not innovative, if your mindset is not that you're going to stall and guess what they're going to do when you can't figure it out. Go somewhere else. They're going to go somewhere else. They're going to they're gonna keep asking the question until they get the answer that they need. And you want to be the one that's got the answer all the time in there. Um, yeah. That's what we fight to be every day is we don't say no. We say, you know, we got it. And we're going to roll our sleeves up and we're going to do the dirty work. We're going to do the difficult work. And we're going to figure it out. That is the mother invention that we've seen is open yourself up to those solutions to come to you, be fed to you, and once you've got that, you're going to get there.
2: So, so let's build off of that. Of there's there's culture, and there, there's reinventing the chicken sandwich every day. But how do you blend that with processes, right? Because you still need to have an efficient organization. You need to have have these processes in place. So, what do those processes look like that breed innovation and and problem solving and solution based uh, strategies?
1: You know, one of the biggest things is not getting too tied to a process. That is what I've seen is when, you know, um, that can be your problem. Process starts the day. And that's what I always say. Standards in the Army starts the day, but it doesn't end it. Um, You know, you're going to begin at a certain level and this is the beginning, but then the day is going to take its own flavor. Like I said, when the first bullet is fired, the plan is out the window. You have to be innovative. So we have ways that we start our day But as the client fees, as things come in, you know, what just happened? We went through one of the worst winter storms uh, in Texas history. You know, there's still a lot of problems going on in Texas right now with logistics. We're getting calls every single day to figure something out, to move freight, to help people. Um, And that's where, you know, I would say those inherent processes. We've got a laundry list of things we have done that we can then go back to uh, and lean against. We've faced this before. Because we're wide open, because we're innovative, we've got so many tools on our chest for our clients. It becomes incredible uh, once you become that innovative type organization.
0: So I've got a question. Uh, what's the meaning behind the, the title or, or your the name of the company, Haversack?
1: Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, so going back to uh the time me and my wife were there we we decided to well she she supported me and decided to start our own company um we were figuring out what are we going to name it we had this notepad and we're on our porch and we're coming up with all these really great names pinnacle and paramount and this and (laughs) we're going through it and then she said haversack i was like haversack she was yelling rucksack and i you know we're online looking at stuff and I started to read about the haversack because I had never heard the word before, and then it hit me. Um, and I, I read about it. So the history of the haversack actually goes back to European soldiers when Europeans were coming to America um, during the Civil War. So they were coming over, and the Union side was, you know, conscripting them immediately into. They say you can be a citizen if you join the military. So there was a lot of European influence. Well, one of the things that the soldiers from over there introduced was this thing called a Huber sack. And Huber is oats in German. So the Huber sack was a bag that they would put over horses' ears and they would feed. If you ever saw the oat sack that a horse would feed. So the soldiers started taking those and because they had straps, they refashioned it and they could put it on their back and carry stuff in it. So they introduced that to the American military. And then all of a sudden it became this logistic, you know, it revolutionized logistics because you could take this one pack, put everything that a soldier needed in, issue it to them, and then they could go off to war and be successful. Um, so it shrunk down the supply chain. It, it, it helped out immensely in supplying soldiers. So it took that concept and said, well, that's what we do for our clients. We give them their haversack. I give them everything they need every day to go to war in logistics and to be successful, and to do it themselves. Uh, and when they need another thing in their haversack, we got it, and we put it in their rucksack, their haversack. And we're right there with them. So along the march, we're right there. And we walked that 20 miles with them every single day. Uh, and that was the concept of haversacking. That's where it came from.
0: So the haversack is like a rucksack.
1: Yeah, it was the first rucksack. It was actually called a haversack all the way up until World War II. Um, So the last actual haversack was the M14 haversack during World War II. And then it became the rucksack backpack uh, and the the terminology of it changed. But that was the actual first backpack rucksack was called the haversack.
0: I love it. That's good. I learned something new today. (laughs) It's really good. So I got another question back to those days when you and your wife were talking about this and dreaming, you went from being a consultant where the light came on. Hey, I can help people with this because I know, you know, the secrets (laughs) going on the other side and I can actually help somebody. And that was one of the things that really appealed to me about you. When we first talked was like, you have this others focused mission that just oozes out of you, which is just such a beautiful thing. That's one of the things I really like about you, Chris. Um, but as you be, began transitioning from a solopreneur with the name Haversack to scaling this business, talk to us about that journey and how where the inflection points were, where it was difficult, and where you're at today as, as a, as a company, because it's no longer just you and your wife.
1: Oh um, yeah. It's uh, I think the first thing that you worry about when you start a business is the proof of concept. You say you can do something. Can you pull it off? You know? uh, And I had these great, theories, these great ideas of I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change the logistics world. I'm going to make the backbone of America, which is the manufacturers the companies. I'm going to make them strong. I want to make them great in there. Okay, now how do I do it? <laughs> you know, so uh, it, it was great. Uh, I had the concept in general. I knew the directions that I wanted to go, the pain points of companies that were out there. Um, but I was fighting an industry that was, had, had entrenched itself in America so strongly that when I started to say these things, people thought I was, I was crazy. And I was like, you can't do that there's no way. And this is the, the great thing about America is there's always somebody out there that's willing to take a chance on you. There is, there's another business owner. I there like, you know what? I, I like you, you're, you, you're, you know, this is a pretty crazy idea, but I'll give it a shot. Uh, and that was what you look for is that opportunity and boy, do you work your butt off when you got it? Um, You know, you're talking that's when the 20 hour days comes in and all of that. Uh, And then, you know, it starts to come, come around. There's some pain points. There's a ton of failures in there, but you keep on pushing, keep on striving uh, with it. Uh, I think some of the the places where I made some of my biggest mistakes is, you know, I didn't have the resources and I, I made mistakes because I didn't understand certain things about business. And that's what, when anybody ever comes back and asks for mentorship or whatever, I always tell them it's about resources. You know, I wish somebody would have told me that my CPA should not be my bookkeeper. Boy, that could have saved me thousands of dollars, you know, on, on fixing that mistake that I made. You don't skimp on your CPA, okay? You don't skimp on your attorney. There's some things you you pay, you know, pay out extraordinary, but you don't skimp on it. You know, those are the things that, uh, I wish people would have told me along the way. Um, but once you get that proof of concept, once you've got it where you say, I did it, then that's, that's the beginning of it. And that's when, uh, you know, for me, it's like, you know, the company's like, good job. Thank you so much. This is amazing. And then it was just like, you know, going back to the time as, as a drill sergeant, once you've got that success. You just, you rock it off. And that was some of the great points that, uh, in our journey or where we are today.
2: Let's take a look as we start to wind down. Um, you're talking about the journey and you've built an incredible organization already. What's the direction, that future direction of Habersack? Where Where are you going?
1: You know, I get asked that, that's a great question. And I get asked that all the time. Um, yeah. And everybody, you're, you're, you know, from what I've read and, and all these great things, everybody always says you have to have these goals. You have to have these five-year, 10-year goals of where you want to be in revenue and all of this. Um, and that's great. But my, my, my problem with that is this is what I found. And if you haven't figured out that, they generally don't go with the trend. Um, some, somebody says go left. I'm, I'm going to go right out of just to do it i don't yeah, we, we have that.
2: that in
1: common, so I understand yeah, you got with me right okay so, um, I don't look outward I, I don't I don't care where we're going to be revenue wise, and I probably should um, but this is what I have found uh, no organization, no country, no nation, no empire has ever died from outside influences. They die internally first. And that's what I do not wanna do with Haversack. I think if we're going to go anywhere, our core of who we are has to be the most solid. That's where the focus is. It's the people, it's our processes, our solutions. If I make this as great as it possibly can be, and we keep innovating, revenue will take care of itself. It will, if I focus out, I'm gonna lose focus on the most important part of the organization. And that is what is internal, what drives us every day. Um, and so I can't answer where I think I'm going to be in five, 10 years. I don't know, but I know that the people here in this, this organization, I'll take care of them. We're going to be great. And we're going to keep on growing, um, that I do know, and we'll take care of our clients. If I never get another client, you know, the clients I have are going to be really happy for a very, very long time with us. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's my vision of, of and in the future of it.
2: Yeah, I, I love it because it doesn't need to have, hey, we're going to have X amount of revenue five years from now or, or anything like that. Your vision is taking care internally, which is, it makes a lot of sense with everything you've been talking about, right? The the messaging, the culture, how you're treating people, things like that. It's, it's the same thing for the future, which is great. So let's spin it a little bit and and talk about the vision for yourself inside haversack as a as a leader as as roles things like that how does how has that evolved from the beginning of haversack to now and how do you envision that continuing to evolve
1: um you know another great uh, another great question is you know when you're when you're a young business everybody there's so many hats you wear you know i, I call it it's what we say in the army everybody's a rifleman everybody's infantry at one time. Everybody might have to pick up a rifle and, and fight. Uh, and that's what you do when you're a young company. You take your own trash out. You're the accountant. You're this, you're all of it in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but as you grow, you've got to learn that you have to give that up, um, that you have to start bringing in the layers in the organization and build within there. Uh, you have to, and you have to recognize that and you have to keep building uh, the organization outward. Because here is the cold. If, if what I say is true, and I truly care about my people, and this is one thing that I always tell them is, you know, for Haversack, I'm not a big 401k advocate. Um, I'm more of a gain share, a profit share, you know, stock options within Haversack. That's where I think you're going to grow wealth. For me to be able to do that for my employees, I have to give up power. I have to give the power back to the employees and constantly push for that. So they become me and then I am not the center point with it. That they can take it one day, I can ride off into the sunset with my kids and then have a set goes on forever and it impacts people in that way. So that's a big push for me right now is to keep um, you know, giving up that power, teaching people, bringing in the layers and developing the organization um, that everybody feels they've got it. It's just not me. Because if it is, we're not gonna go very far. Uh, so that's a big part of what we're doing right now.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's great. Man, I do too. Um, for anybody been lis- that's been listening to this, some amazing, amazing insights. Uh, and it's just interesting to me, Chris, The all the experiences that you went through, uh, in the military, all the lessons learned those 26 years there, the lessons from a mentor, what I heard, you know, the guy that was interviewing you at the job fair, whatever that thing was, where you connected, and he changed his plans, uh, probably helped change your life, you probably changed his life, I mean, that's a beautiful thing, but um, all of those things, Even the difficulties of, hey, you got four hours to determine the fate of your family. And, uh, you know, which is, you could say, gosh, what a cruel thing. But, But at the same point, it became this release point for you. Probably didn't feel that way at the time, but it became a release point into an even more amazing destiny and by the way, it kept you know, in Charlotte, North Carolina versus <laughs> it did. my oldest son lives is in Lexington,
1: Kentucky, <laughs> which is a great place. Yeah, uh, yeah great place. Absolutely. But yeah, it would have been bad. If I took it, it would have been bad. Yeah. I, but
0: I, I'm just, I, I love the story that you have and just the lessons other entrepreneurs or wannabe entrepreneurs um, that are listening to this can garner from, from this really, really good and just how intentional you are about the culture. Um, I mean, Haversack could be like Amazon. Amazon, we thought of as, you sell books. Well, now they sell freaking everything, right? Everything. I mean, yeah. So uh, Haversack, who knows what its future is, wh- what, what all problems you're going to be solving in the future, but with the kind of innovation... Mindset that you're fostering, and you know it's not about me; it's about us. I mean, I I I think watch out, you know, world, you know, Haversack. You might be able to be like Nike, where you remove the name, and it's just whatever swoosh or whatever it is. (laughs) Haversack, everybody goes, oh, well, that's Haversack.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, and here's the funny thing about the business model: we should actually go away. And if, if my vision is what it is of teaching people to do something themselves, eventually they get to the point where I'm not even needed. And that's really where you, you think about it um, because that's a big thing of, you know, you talk about that long-term, that legacy, you know, the pinnacle of any organization is the legacy which you leave behind. Can you reach that point? Um, and that is really, if you think in theory of who we are, we should eventually just go away. If we teach the world, how to do something themselves. You don't need us anymore. You know, and that's that's and that's okay. That's good because mission accomplished. Uh, because like I said, you know, we always say in, in the company, America needs a better option, you know, and there's some great companies out there that just need better options um, and see things differently. Because you know, the backbone of our nation is, is our companies. The people out there are doing the right thing every day. And that's who, that's who we care about the most. That's what we want to impact. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's great. Go ahead. You know, I always, I always keep waiting to get tired of doing this job. And it just has. And then the old thing is, it's not work if you love it. Uh, and it's so true. It really is.
2: It's fantastic. Um, Gary, any other thoughts before we sign off here? this has been, I've really enjoyed this. It's been great.
0: Yeah, I'm just, I'm so glad that you got to experience it uh, today, Ben, and like what I did when when Chris and I first met via Zoom. I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> and I'd heard about you from some mutual friends, and the fact that you're a client and all that kind of stuff is really cool, but um, man, I just love your attitude. You're the kind of people we love to have and feature your story, so I'll just you know, just say thank you. And then let Ben kind of ask where we can send people to learn more about you and that sort of thing. But thank you, Chris. Really appreciate yeah. it.
1: Yeah. And likewise, you know, like I said, uh, you guys are a great organization too, um, working with you guys. And like I said, I always advocate. Like I said, don't skip on your CPA. Don't do it. Make <laughs> you know, sure anybody ever tells me, you know, uh, when I was looking for CPA, I heard you guys' name over and over and over. Uh, and that is a testament to what you guys do um, with it, and yeah, it, it was true. Everything. I, I couldn't be happier with uh, being with BGW. That's a great. We
0: exist to serve people like you. Uh, we love helping businesses grow in any way we can. But you know, it, it's it's great. So, and now Ben's part of us too, <laughs> which is right. really yeah, it's really awesome. So, Ben, you want to take
1: us out?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, Chris, uh, where's the best places for people to to reach you and also to to check out Haversack?
1: Uh, our website, you know, yeah, that's the best thing. So you can reach out to us there. Um, you know, LinkedIn uh, can reach out. Uh, all our information's on there. We're uh, growing a big LinkedIn uh, presence. And of course, our, our website has got everything on there for, for people to to reach out to us and, and learn more about us.
2: Well, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate
1: it. Nay, not a problem. Thank you, guys. This has been great. It really has. I appreciate uh, all you're doing also.